0: The Triathlon Show 322. Hey, what's up everybody? And Welcome back to another episode of that Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Associate Professor Dustin Schubert of Stephen F. Austin State University we will discuss his study comparing seven carbon-plated so-called super shoes and also even more shoes than that because uh, Dr. Schubert has been doing informal testing in his lab on a regular basis which we will discuss as well uh, some fun stuff as well as as serious stuff in in among those tests. So by the end of this interview you will have a very good idea of which shoes you should go for if you want to give yourself the best likelihood of gaining the most possible benefits from a pair of super shoes. So that's uh, a very clear uh, benefit of listening to this episode uh, good actionable information but before we get into the interview big thanks to our sponsors roca roca produce exceptional quality triathlon wetsuits suits, swimskins goggles performance sunglasses as well as prescription eyeglasses and sunglasses uh, today, let's talk about Roca's range of wetsuits and why they are such a fantastic option. First, they have a wide variety of products from the entry-level Maverick that is still extremely high quality, all the way up to the flagship uh, wetsuit model, the Maverick X2. All of Roca's wetsuits come with the patented arms up technology, which maximizes shoulder mobility, which can otherwise be quite restricted when swimming in a wetsuit and result in less efficient and slower swimming. That is not the case when you're in a Roka wetsuit. They also have patented buoyancy profiles for the fastest possible body position in the water, and if you're somebody that are really struggling with body position, then consider getting the MX Max Buoyancy wetsuit, because that's the most buoyant wetsuit of them all, and it's actually a quite affordable option as well. There are a ton of other fantastic features in Roka's wetsuits, like the exoskeleton in the X2 wetsuit that maximizes how speed and Maximizes speed and propulsion uh, through the connection between your hips and shoulders. You can read all of the details on roca.com and uh, remember you can get 20% off your entire Roka order by visiting roca.com forward slash TTS. And thank you to Senate. The Senate Indoor Swim Trainer is a one-of-a-kind swim bench that helps you improve your technique through an early catch maximize propulsion for a more powerful powerful stroke and stay consistent by doing swim workouts at home even when you can't go to the pool it is available in the uk the eu and the us with free shipping in both the uk and the us it is very affordable, similar to a pair of regular good running shoes, not a pair of super shoes. It is actually much cheaper than a pair of super shoes. But best of all, the investment is completely risk free because if you are not in love with the Senate swim trainer after two weeks of using it and you're using the free training program that comes with it, then you can send it back and get a full refund. Learn more and get a 20% discount on your Senate swim trainer on senateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. Now, just a quick mention before the interview that we are in the very final stages of accepting participants for our training camp on Mallorca from the 26th of March to the 2nd of April this year, 2022. I will discuss this a little bit more after the interview, but just note that now is the last chance to sign up as we are about to close the doors on registrations. All right, now without any further ado, uh, let's get into the interview uh, with uh, Associate Professor uh, Dustin Schubert. Welcome to That Triathlon Show, Dustin. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: It's uh, my pleasure. Uh, it will be uh, really interesting to get into your uh, specialty topic, Shoes. And uh, But we, before we do that, can you please introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a bit more about your background and, and how you get into what you're, what you're doing now?
1: Sure. Yeah, my name is Dustin Jobert. I'm uh, an associate professor in the Department of Kinesiology and Health Science at Stephen F. Austin State University, um, we're located in Texas, um, and I have a PhD in Exercise Physiology from Texas A&M, and I've been a, I've been a runner all my life, and yeah, so I've always had an interest in endurance performance, and, and more recently looked started looking at uh, running economy and some of these these new shoes.
0: Perfect. And uh, first, let's let's start by describing how these new shoes the if you might call them super shoes uh, some people refer to them as carbon plated shoes even though whether the carbon plate is what makes the difference is, is something we might, might get into later how how do they differ from traditional racing shoes uh, typically and and what are really the design parameters uh, that that are important there in the difference
1: yeah so i think it's been interesting kind of looking at the the recent lit that's come out in terms of the, the terminology that the scientific community has embraced for the shoes. Cause in the, you know, lay public it's, we kind of call them super shoes and that might mean a variety of things. Um, but kind of pinpointing what are the technical characteristics that make, um, a shoe, a super shoe or not. I think it hasn't really been, been totally nailed down. Um, I think, you know, commonalities are probably, um, higher stack foam. So more highly cushioned shoes, um, probably with more advanced foam that's more compliant and resilient. It's got the potential to store and return more energy. Um, the presence of a carbon fiber plate to kind of increase longitudinal bending stiffness and probably provide some stability to that higher stacked foam. And then I think the other thing is, you know, people are, people are using them at a high level to race, right? So looking at what the elites or competitive runners are are wearing on the roads. Um, so I think those are probably the, unifying characteristics i see at least
0: yeah and uh probably also price <laughs> so we might call them pr- price issues as well
1: yeah yeah i think well the market has probably done that i don't know if that necessarily makes the shoe super or not though <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's true well what are the purported benefits of of these shoes and and also the mechanisms behind those benefits
1: yeah so you know if you go back to the original 2018 Hokammer paper on the the Vaporfly prototype that showed the 4% benefit in running economy. That was really kind of the groundbreaking study that showed the benefits of the the Nike Vaporfly shoe, um, primarily from it being more compliant and resilient, the midsole foam um, being able to to return more energy, store more energy, decreasing the energy cost of running, and improving economy. So, if it's easier to run at a given speed, you could therefore work at um, uh, run at a faster speed working at the same physiological intensity and, and improve performance and so that was the the big benefit that was initially shown in, in that um, 2018 study
0: yeah run run running economy being improved there and that's something that you have replicated now with with other shoes as we as we will get into uh and uh for the listeners uh Walter H- is a past guest of the of the podcast we we interviewed him uh, in I can't remember which episode. We will put that in the in the show notes as well. Uh, other than his study, before you did your study, uh, what other data exists out there in in terms of published literature? Is is there is there much there, or it, what, has it been basically a commerce paper and now yours?
1: No, there's there's a handful now. Um, it's definitely in its infancy, but there's there's definitely been some follow up studies that have confirmed their their findings. So that initial Hokama paper that was um, kind of Nike supported, and people, are, you know, there's no reason to not trust those researchers. Other world class researchers who did that that project, but the fact that it was kind of Nike backed, people had some reservations. But that's been been um, pr- proven consistently by independent labs. Now there was the Barnes and Kilding paper that showed similar range of improvement, three to four um, percent. The Hunter's group out of BYU um, similarly are in three percent range. So. So where the the exact percentages have varied a little bit in the lit. um, Definitely the the consistent improvement. But the the thing that that you notice is that it's all the Nike Vaporfly line of shoes that's been studied. And so all these other companies that have come to market with a super shoe of their own um, haven't been compared, haven't been established even at all in their own right in the lit, um, much less been compared to the the previously established Nike shoes.
0: Yeah. And uh, well, that's... Probably one of the reasons that you did your study, or I know it is because I read it. Uh, but uh, what what are the other reasons uh, for behind you wanting to do your study, which involved several different shoes from different brands?
1: Yeah, I think that was the the main impetus. Is just we have this one shoe that's been shown to be great, and obviously a lot of people are running in that shoe and running fast in that shoe. Um, but they're all these other companies have come to market now with a so called super shoe of their own, and and yet they haven't been validated or compared and so it was really just take a a very like applied look and see if the sort of landscape has been leveled across the competitive running shoe market you know personally i had run in uh i'd run in the hoka carbon x and i tested myself in the lab um just a little self-experimentation and it hadn't given me any benefit um compared to just a normal racing flat and so. Um, when I when I purchased the Alpha Fly and did the same test on myself, I was a four percent plus responder in terms of economy improvements. And so that was kind of eye opening of of yeah, there's definitely some shoes that are helping and some that probably aren't. And and something in between. And so that's we just tried to get our hands on as many shoes as possible that kind of meet that definition we talked about of super shoe. Um, that's being being sold as that and raced in that by elites and competitive athletes and and make a, a broad comparison.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's really good that you did, uh, get a look at the competitive landscape and see, uh, see what, uh, what you could find about whether it was level or not. So, so let's go through that study. Uh, I will of course put a link to it in the show notes. So listeners can go and have a more in-depth look, but, uh, but let's start with, uh, well, which shoes did you involve in, uh, in, in this study?
1: Yeah. So we got as many shoes as we can. We got it. We got an internal grant. So we didn't have any funding from any shoe companies or anything, but we had an internal grant from the university and we were able to get seven of the carbon plated super shoes and one traditional shoe. So we tested the Hoker Rocket X, the Saucony Endorphin Pro, um, the original, the Nike Alpha Fly, Asics Metaspeed Sky, Nike Vaporfly Next% 2, New Balance RC Elite um the brooks hyperion elite two and then our control shoe or sort of our traditional shoe was a, a standard racing flat which was the asics hyperspeed
0: got it and uh what uh what was the participant group like
1: yeah so we wanted to test at 16 kilometers per hour um, which well for my u.s units that's like six minute mile pace um
0: it's around 350 per kilometer I believe. 350 yeah so
1: So that's probably the most commonly tested speed in the the previous lit and so we wanted to test at 16 kilometers per hour um, for that sake um to do that for running economy testing since we're measuring energy expenditure from strictly the aerobic component the oxygen consumption component of energy expenditure we need people to be working at aerobic intensities where they're not at such a high intensity that anaerobic metabolism plays a large contribution. So you need people fairly fit so that they're not stressed too much at that intensity. So, um, basically you need them below their lactate threshold at those speeds. And so the qualification criteria was around like, you need to be able to run 5k under 1730. So not, not really fast guys, but competitive runners. Um, we had a mix of uh, mix of like current collegiate guys and, you know, mid 30 marathon type guys. Um, so we ended up with, with 12 runners, um, that met that criteria. Um, yeah, so that would, that would be kind of, kind of general demographic that we had.
0: Yeah. These were all male runners.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We had, you know, limited funding. So to do these shoe studies, it's tough because of not everyone wears the same shoe size. And so we were, we were only had shoes in uh, 10, 10 and a half and 11. Um, and so based on the budget we had, that was kind of like the, peak number of people we can get with a convenient sample around here so it was was definitely tough i'm in i'm in like rural east texas and we're a couple hours away two three hours away from any of the major like population centers cities and so to recruit you know people that meet those criteria within a couple hour radiuses here was a challenge
0: yeah i can imagine that and uh and then what was the testing protocol like and the procedure that the that you put the runners through to to measure these these shoes
1: yeah so for for the economy testing pretty common is a a five minute um rep so if i have you steady state at a set speed that's aerobic for you for five minutes i can capture your oxygen consumption um your co2 production and determine your your energy expenditure through through indirect calorimetry that way um, and so, but it takes, you know, two, three minutes to reach like a true steady state. So if we have you know, on a five minute stage, we can capture the last couple minutes of that energy expenditure and oxygen consumption to determine the, the energy cost of that, that task. And so, um, we did, since we had eight shoes, we did eight five minute reps with each subject. So every subject wore all the, sh- all the shoes once, um, on the first visit, um, in a random order. So they did eight five minute reps at that 16 kilometers per hour. Um, you're given a five minute break between to change shoes. And to just keep the protocol from being very taxing. So you're kind of starting at resting levels bet- between each rep. Um, and so then, so to make sure we didn't have any like effect of the test sequence, we had them come back a second visit and they tested the shoes again, um, just in the reverse order of what they had done the first time. And so then we were able to get the average across those two visits and compare their oxygen consumption, energy cost um, across the different shoes in the study.
0: Got it, and uh, yeah. Then, so, so what? What results did you find? What? What? How did the shoes fare in in this test?
1: Yeah. So the big thing with the analysis is just looking at sort of like what's the percent benefit relative to the traditional control shoe. Um, did the shoes help relative to the, the control shoe or the traditional shoe? Um, and then also, did they match up to the previously established Nike Vaporfly line of shoes? And what we saw is that, you know, some shoes were good, some were okay, some didn't help so much. And so when we looked at sort of the top tier, we expected the the Nike Vaporfly and the Nike Alpha Fly, kind of a similar technology in that shoe to perform at a high level. And we saw that around 3% economy improvements. So similar to what's been shown in the, the previous lit. Um, the one shoe that had matched up to the Nike shoes was the... Um, a6 metaspeed sky so that was you know that shoe hadn't been tested not really none, none of the shoes other than the vaporfly line had been tested um, so that that shoe leveled up um, with similar improvements statistically and there was sort of a mid-tier that were better than the control shoe but not quite as good as the the nike shoes or that top tier shoes um, that was the saucony endorphin pro and the uh, new balance rc elite that were around one and a half percent economy improvements and then on the the lower tier shoes that didn't have any statistical benefit relative to the control or traditional shoe were the hoka rocket x and the brooks hyperion elite 2
0: yeah yeah well, one thing that you note uh in the discussion i believe is that uh, as listeners as you listeners will have noticed the uh, adidas version of their, their super shoe is not included here so so but that's something that we'll we'll get to in a little bit maybe with some case case study data that that you've done later on um but but the, yeah that that's that's a good summary of the of the results so so it looks like the the shoes that performed the best were the the two nike nike lines of shoes and and then uh the the a six shoe and and they clearly outperformed uh, the others. What what about on, on and that I should say on an average uh, level. But but that that leads me to the next question: Were there any large individual differences and or responders and non-responders, if you want to call them that?
1: Yeah, so I think that's been of interest in all of these papers that have looked at running economy in the new shoes. And most of these studies have been designed to really make conclusions about like is this shoe better than a better than a traditional shoe and not really designed to like weed out the individual difference so we did see you know if we just if we just broke our data down by the like highest responders, like the top six responders in the study and the bottom six responders to those top three shoes, that probably the biggest thing that jumps out and, and makes sense is that the people who respond more that get more benefit from the shoes were the ones who were less economical to begin with. So it's like, they've got more margin to make up, you know, maybe their legs and Achilles tendons and feet are not springy as the others. And so the shoes are giving them more benefit in that regard. Um, and that kind of makes sense. Um, you know, we, we tried to look at some of the mechanical differences, uh, but with, with, you know, it, when you're starting to, to compare these groups now, you're comparing six people to another six yeah. people, it's not really big data set for making those types of comparisons. Um so I'm, I'm probably less confident in like making any strong conclusions on our mechanics data there. We did see that those people who who tended to be less efficient, less economical to begin with, who got bigger gains um tended to be the people with like slower cadences, a little more vertical oscillation. Um but I don't know if that's, you know, that's the reason they're less economical to begin with or if that's the reason that they tend to have I, I would say the other the other thing I would say on the individual responsiveness is I always tend to clarify this is that, every, you know, people have said like, oh, well, it's all individual, like which shoe is best for you, and and to some extent, yes, that's true, but to the to the extent of like the statistical conclusions that we made to say these are the top three shoes. We couldn't make those statistical conclusions if that wasn't the case for just about everybody in the study. Yeah. So one one of those top three shoes that we listed was was the best shoe for everyone. In fact, that was probably like the top three shoes for just about everyone when you look at the the data from the individual responses. So where you see more individuality is like among those top shoes that are similar to each other, you know, some people might be a five percent responder in the alpha fly and another person might only be a one percent responder in the alpha fly. Um and so that's it's more like the magnitude of the response for those those top shoes where you see the individuality,
0: yeah, got it, uh, and I think that that's that's really useful and practical information from a consumer standpoint to to know that uh okay well basically everybody had one of those three shoes as or those three shoes as their top three and and uh that's kind of it makes sense to to narrow your search if you're in the market for shoes probably to to those three based on the on the data that we have today. Um, so uh, other than that is there anything anything else you want to kind of summarize from this study uh, and, uh, and and in addition to that what what are the areas for future research that you see that you, that you want to highlight that you didn't get to do in this study
1: yeah so i think you know it's tough keeping up with the running shoe market academic research is is never gonna be a perfect solution for trying to keep up with the running shoe market because they can release a new shoe every six to eight months and Um, You know, with this study, if you just there's recent iterations of these shoes. Some companies are about to release their third iteration of the shoe that we were testing the first version of, and so it's tough to keep up in that regard. I think, I think there is a place for for academic research, and when new shoes are developed and come to market with you know updated technologies to help validate whether or not they're they're actually helping or not, or if they're helping relative to to previously established shoes. So I think that's a, a definitely a place for ongoing. Academic research, um, you know, I, I've got some, some interest in, in trying to weed out some of that responsiveness, um, individual responsiveness, um, data, um, if, if individuals mechanics maybe lend themselves to bigger responses or not. Um, but those, those will take some studies like designed around that. Um, you know, there's been, even since, since we released the preprint of this study, um, there's been two new shoe papers that have been published, um, looking at running uphill and downhill, um, how the benefits are maybe slightly less there, but still substantial. There's a new paper out on a new Nike uh, unnamed Nike prototype on it, helping economy. Even when you've got significant, uh, more mu- muscle damage economies, the benefits are still there with the, the new shoe. So, um, so definitely, I think this is an area of, of research that's going to keep expanding. I imagine over the next year, there'd be a lot of papers, um, that probably covid slowed things down and for a lot of labs and so i imagine there'll be a lot a lot of new research coming
0: yeah yeah everybody was writing reviews and and now now it's possible to get people into the lab again
1: yeah uh, well that was one benefit of being in texas we had a little bit less restrictions so we were able yeah. to get a lot of data still
0: um and so uh, we'll get into some of the, the the sort of private testing that you've done or the case studies in in a little bit, but but regarding the the selection uh, of of the shoes, just if if you give your tips in your own words to listeners of this show, whether they be triathletes or runners, what what would you say? What what is the advice to the consumer here when when it comes to selecting shoes?
1: Yeah, so I think you know in the conclusions of our paper, um, we make the suggestion that. You know, you, maybe you should be a little wary of purchasing shoes that haven't been tested, you know, new, sh- new shoes that haven't been tested or compared to like these established shoes, um, or shoes that are, that are in our lineup currently that have shown to be inferior, right. Um, you might be at a performance disadvantage running in those shoes. Um, you know, and then that's, that's the limited to like the type of runner we looked at the paces we looked at, but, um, but I definitely think that there's some shoes on the market that aren't going to give you the same competitive advantage as the the top ones that we showed here. I think when new shoes come out, it's a little trickier. Um, it's, you know, if, if a new shoe comes out and there's updates and it hasn't been looked at in the academic lit, well then, then what do you do? Um, yeah. I, I think there is room in, in exercise science and in sports testing facilities to start marketing and promoting, pushing running economy, testing more with the new shoes, you know, endurance athletes who are willing to spend money on on lab based exercise testing have always considered, you know, paying for VO2 max testing and lactate threshold testing um and economy testing. Economy testing uses the same equipment as the VO2 max testing and so any lab that's capable of doing that is capable of doing economy testing. And so it it makes sense to me for for both labs and consumers that have access to that or willing to spend money on that to to actually do that type of testing themselves and and then, yeah, you know, n equals one data when you're the 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 one is the only data that really matters. And so, so yeah, if you could take a pair of shoes into the lab and and test yourself, um, that gives you all the answers you need right there.
0: Yeah, no, that was something I was thinking about uh, when reading your paper. That especially for elite athletes, when when you're really looking for that one percent, then. It, it might be worth it just get all of these top shoes get them into a lab and uh, and do an economy test with each of them maybe as you did it in the study on if you really want to do it right two separate days randomized order and then reverse the order <laughs> to really uh, really make yeah. sure you, you get you it can, right
1: you can get it all done in one day
0: yeah if, if, if you want to get get all of the benefits then then your own n equals one testing is probably the the best way best way to go but uh, but beyond that as you say, uh, just choosing one of these tested, proven shoes is probably a, a good starting point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what, one thing that when we talk about these these performance benefits of economy, and this is something we have discussed before, and we dis- did discuss that with uh, with Walter when he was on the show, but it's been a, a long time ago. So, I'm going to ask you to remind us all: How does running economy relate to? Performance uh, and because it's not necessarily as straightforward as just well three percent economy means three percent better performance.
1: Yeah, yeah. So being more economical means that you take less energy or less oxygen to run at a given speed. But the big benefit is not so much that it's like you save a hundred calories in a marathon. You know that's that's nice. Um, but the big benefit is that then you could work at the same physiological intensity and run at a faster speed. And so the question then is like if you you know, 3% more economical, what percent faster are you able to run? Um, it's not, like you said, not perfectly one-to-one. At slower speeds, probably like 7-minute um, mile pace and slower, It's probably is pretty close to like a one-to-one relationship from the the modeling and data that I've seen. Um, at faster speeds, you start looking at like elite marathoners, it's probably more like two-thirds is like a simpler rule of thumb to follow. So a 3% economy improvement for an elite marathoner might translate to like a 2% running speed improvement. Um, and performance time improvement um there is there's a there's a cool paper from Chile kip uh cram and hokammer um that's got an actual like calculator that goes with it you can plug your your numbers into a little excel calculator um based on your paces you run and the distances you're running and your percent economy improvements then it'll it'll spit out an actual time value for you so yeah uh, yeah
0: I, I remember linking to that in that episode with, with Walter. so i'll, I'll... Look it up again and, and put it in the show notes for for this one too. It is a, a cool Excel and and really easy to use, a user friendly. So it doesn't take a any, any rocket science. You can you just plug in your numbers and and that's that. Uh, but gives it's it's nice to just get an idea of okay if I let's say improve my economy by three percent based on your own speed over a certain distance, which might be a marathon or a five k, get a, get a bit of an idea of how how many minutes or seconds you you're, you're saving uh, in the end. And uh, then uh, some follow-up questions based on the testing that you are now doing personally. And, and let's plug your Instagram account here, which is uh, Rundown, Uh Really cool account, well worth a follow, uh, where you do different tests and, and post other stuff around shoes and running economy and so on. Uh, so so now you have, and these tests you typically do only on yourself, uh, I believe, but, uh, but you have tested, for example, the Adidas Adios Pro that were missing from the study. And compare them to both the Nike shoes, Nike AlphaFly, I think, and and a control shoe. So, so what did you find in your n equals one testing with with the Adidas shoes?
1: Yeah, so so yeah, that the, that Labret Rundown Instagram account is meant to be kind of fun and and share some some objective data. It, you know, Instagram is full of subjective shoe review data um, or shoe, shoe review opinions, I should say. So that's been fun. But yeah, we've tested. I tested on myself the, the Adidas Pro Two you know, we, we didn't, we didn't intentionally omit that from our larger study. Um, just at the time that we obtained all the shoes, we weren't able to get that, that shoe was sold out between the ones and the twos being released. And so, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't do great in that shoe. Um, I'm a, I'm a big responder to the alpha fly. I'm like a four and a half percent guy in the alpha fly. And, um, I'm usually like a percentage point or so less in the vapor fly. And then I was even like a percentage point, even worse in the, um, the audios pro, so I didn't. I didn't get a great grade with that shoe, but I can't make broader conclusions for that. It, yeah, I really wish we had it in our testing lineup. Um, obviously, there's a lot of elites that are running really fast in that shoe, um, but without more data, we we can't yeah. really say much much more than that.
0: No, no, still a two two point five percent or so improvement over the uh, over the control shoe is. Is uh not yeah bad, that's
1: so. I, I think you know when i when i do some of my my personal testing it's like if i'm always four percent in the alpha fly but another shoe gives me i don't think i was quite two percent in that one but um so there's some day-to-day variability okay. but you know if another shoe give, is giving me two and a half percent two percent improvement that's still substantial like i just i just have a better option on the table
0: yeah exactly yeah um and then uh just for for fun you you also tested running in crocs how did that go
1: <laughs> it's funny i did a lot of work on the adios protesting and then the crocs one was much more popular i think <laughs> uh, yeah well so there's there's um there's one runner i think he's in utah here in the u.s who's run some crazy fast times like sub 15 minute 5k 106 half something like that in crocs and so so yeah i tested my economy in crocs and i'm definitely not not a not i don't run well in crocs <laughs> i think i was about eight percent worse than the crocs than the alpha fly <laughs>
0: yeah eight <8% laughs> percent worse than the than the alpha fly or that
1: yeah and then I, so four i think four percent worse than the control shoe eight percent worse than the alpha fly yeah oh.
0: but and actually that's uh <laughs> that's one of the reasons that i that i put this question in because i thought it was quite interesting to see the kind of the symmetry there that just as much better or just as much worse as the Crocs are compared to control. That's how much better the alpha flies are for you than the control. Where yeah. kind of intuitively I would at least think that out oh, of Crocs, that's gotta be like a, a league of its own in like just poor economy, like not. Well, being
1: made for at I mean 4% all. worse than a traditional racing flat. It's probably a pretty big impairment for me, but yeah,
0: uh, it, I think my, is, my, yeah. my
1: tip to anyone racing in Crocs is to probably have thicker socks. I think that was one of my challenges. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> No, of course it is. It is a, a massive, massive impairment. But but the point that I'm making is that, that the AlphaFly for you is as big of an improvement. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's not a marginal gain at all. It's it's like a very significant gain. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And and then you uh, for track running uh, now there are the uh, the Nike Dragonflies as well. So and and you did some work uh, with uh, with them as well and comparing them to potentially using AlphaFly or Vaporflies on the track in. Uh, races where that might be allowed. So, what what did you find?
1: Yeah, so I, I would first point back towards that that Barnes and Kilding paper. That was one of the follow up vaporfly studies that confirmed the the three or four percent economy benefits. One of the things they had done in that paper though was actually compare not just to a traditional road racing shoe, but also to a like distance track spike. Um, now, this was that that was pre dragonfly super foam in the spikes. That was just the the Nike Motumbo um, but they showed even that the heavier vapor fly was more economical than the really light distance racing track spike. And so that one of the things that they kind of recommended from that paper was that maybe, um, track runners should consider at least the the possibility of running, you know, in the vapor or these higher stack shoes and track races. And of course, you know, since world athletics has banned, you know, 25 millimeter stack height and ab- above for, for track races, but um, NCA athletics here in the States don't have any stack height regulations on the track. And so that was, that was kind of my thought is it, it seems like a lot more NCA runners probably could be benefiting from even, even with the the new foam and the dragonfly, but it being limited in stack, they might be able to benefit from the, the higher stack road racing shoes. And so, so yeah, that was my, my kind of personal testing sample I did was on the, the Alva fly being my best shoe I know. To the dragonfly, um, and I, you know, I was I think four percent or so, my usual in the alpha fly, and and maybe around upper twos, three percent in the dragonfly. So the dragonfly still helped me a lot mm. compared to like a traditional flat. Um, but despite its heavy weight, the alpha fly was still the most economical shoe yeah. for me. So for me, for me personally, even when I go down to shorter distances, I'm going to run in that shoe because it's my most economical shoe. I think, you know, being that we can only test running economy at more aerobic speeds really we're not we can't really go faster than like 10k pace it's got to be slower than that so it's a little harder to say okay well i tested at you know 545 pace but how is this going to help me at five minute pace um and you know what are the trade-offs on you know the turns on the track or trying to sprint and get up to really maximal speeds um is there some trade-off in like traction um, so it, it's harder to do that without more probably like time trial data, but I definitely have an interest in in um, doing some more actually probably larger scale stuff there.
0: Yeah, uh, well, th- those are all uh, quite important considerations uh, that you point out there, and maybe lim- limitations that uh, to uh, to using uh, or reasons that the dragonfly or tracks might still be the better choice. But but still, really interesting to see the uh, that there is that difference in favor of the alpha fly in economy Um, just out of curiosity uh when when you test test a spike can you just test that normally on the treadmill or do you have to kind of change the belt to some special kind of belt on treadmill how does that work
1: yeah so the one of the treadmills we've got in the lab is the the woodway um, which has got these like rubber slats on the belt. And so those actually handle the spikes really well. It would feel totally natural on it. Right. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Traditional treadmill belt, hard deck, that might be a problem. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. And, and then uh, one other question. You, you mentioned already the one of the newer papers that has been released around uphill and downhill running. So uh, can, can you talk us through a little bit around what they found and, and what happens when, when running uphill and downhill to the economy benefits?
1: Yeah, so that that paper was from uh, Whiting, Hokama, and Crom, and they showed, um, they had they had people at a fixed speed. I think it was thirteen kilometers per hour in that study, and they they replicated their kind of three, I think it was three point eight percent, nearly four percent economy improvements on the flats. Um, and this was in the the Vaporfly four percent shoe, um, but when they put them at a five percent um, incline, which I think was meant to kind of replicate the Boston type marathon hills. Um, they put them at a 5% incline that improvement in economy was reduced to, to closer to like 2.8 ish, maybe a little under 3%. Um, and same thing downhill, uh, there was a slight reduction. Um, and so still very beneficial, um, just not as beneficial as on the flats.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. It would be interesting to, to know where, what would have happened if they had maybe even, uh, like clamped the, uh, uh, the oxygen uptake the physiological effort and uh and, and then somehow calculated the total energy expenditure or rolling course with including the flats the hills and the uh, yeah. hills and downhills Be- because in the real world in a, in a road race you would maybe not have a completely fixed uh energy output but but try to pace yourself over those hills rather than maintain a specific speed
1: right yeah they chose the fixed speed which means like, so for the testing on the flats, that was like considerably easier effort or downhill, considerably easier effort for their subjects. Um, but to, to be able to keep them below threshold on that 5% incline, that's like, they, that's why they needed the 13 kph. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, when I actually compared the alpha fly to the vapor fly on myself going up uphill of a 5% incline, because um, I was curious to know if maybe the the heavier alpha fly becomes more of a penalty running uphill. Um, and also would be able to see like the decrement. And I did do that. I matched, I tried to match metabolic intensity to like run at similar VO2s. Um, so it's like for, what did I do? 16, 615 mile pace or something on the flats was like 730 something on the uphill. Um, and so it was similar oxygen consumption levels, but I saw similar, similar what they saw uh, when I, when I looked at that on myself, I had, you know, went from 4% to, to two ish percent or so two and a half percent going uphill. Um, But it it wasn't for me personally, that gap between the alpha fly and the vapor fly was closed. So normally I have about a percentage margin on the the alpha fly being better for me. Um, That was basically eliminated um, with the vapor fly. So, so maybe there's something Mm -hmm. to that lighter shoe um, uphill, but, but yeah, definitely that, you know, we can talk around the minutia and split hairs on that. The shoe is still beneficial uphill and downhill.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. 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 absolutely. so um then i mean i think that's that's all the shoe stuff covered from my side or do you have anything else that you think would be interesting that anything else to point out uh that we haven't talked about yet
1: no i think we we hit on a lot of the the big papers in the science and uh, like i said i think there'll be a lot more coming out we're we're doing a follow-up study right now the slowest speed these have really been tested at like when matched in mass to another shoe um Is Well, that most recent paper at 13 kilometers per hour, but most of the stuff previously has been like 14 KPH and faster, which is like three hour marathoners and faster is where most of the data is. And so we're actually looking, obviously there's a lot of people who are slower than three hour marathoners who are buying these shoes. So we're looking at like for like 330 to four hour plus marathoners, what are the percent economy benefits? Um, And we've got hoping to wrap that project up, the data collection on it this, this month.
0: Oh, that, that will be really interesting, and uh, listeners uh, just uh, follow Dustin on on Instagram, Lab Rundown. And I'm sure that once the study is wrapped up, which of course will take a while, uh, there there will be information there about it. But in the meantime, I'm sh- uh, sure there will be some some interesting additional tests that you will be doing and posting about. It's uh, as I said, well worth a follow. Uh, so other than the shoes then uh, i'll just ask you as a runner if you could give three pieces of advice to other runners or endurance athletes that want to improve their performance uh what would that be could be anything related to uh to endurance sports and running
1: okay yeah um i'm always wary of giving others advice um so I'll, you can, you can, give, you, can uh, give, tell, tell, you can tell us
0: if, if you want to frame it like three things that you think work works well for you the, the, yeah that's also or I'll,
1: I'll give my advice to my like 20 year old self that i should have followed yeah. maybe um so i think you know consistency is king like I, I you know previously collegiate runner was injured all the time and you don't see any improvements or benefits long term when when that's the case so I've, I've learned now consistency is more important than anything um I probably, you know, in my running prime would have focused more on strength. Um, that was for me personally, my body type would have benefited from that. So I'd probably spend a little more time in the weight room and maybe I wouldn't have thought as much, Yeah, <laughs> I think, think, I was. you know, I was, I've always been an academic and kind of a student of my sport, but in some ways that when it comes to like the psychological aspect of, of racing, sometimes you can, you can overthink things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah keep keep it simple stupid that's that's probably in all the science that's in wearable tech and numbers and quantitative stuff you can get out there um i think keep it simple stupid is probably good advice
0: yeah yeah great and uh then let's uh just take the rapid fire questions. so take one sentence to answer each of these and the first one is what's your favorite book or resource related to endurance sports running or science
1: uh it's kind of Old school sports science, running performance, coaching blend of things. I, I'm a Daniel's running formula fan.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. And uh, what's an important important habit that you've benefited from athletically, professionally, or personally?
1: Oh, that's a tougher one. Um, I'll go. I'll go personal, which has helped professional and academic. So I, I quit drinking alcohol a couple years ago. And for me, that was a, a big benefit for productivity in a variety of areas. So,
0: yeah. And uh, finally, who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you?
1: Um. So the whole reason I became an exercise science major as an undergrad was I met Arthur Lydiard um, when he was doing a speaking tour in the U.S. And it was actually right before he passed, like the day before he passed. He. Um, was doing a speaking tour in the u.s and and that kind of changed my mindset and career outlook and um yeah that was big
0: yeah yeah uh that, that must have been great definitely one of the one of the all-time greats in in running yeah so uh yeah uh just finally uh just remind the listeners the your instagram and uh, are there any other places they should follow you uh or, or is instagram the, the one place to go
1: yeah, I'm just on Instagram now. I'm, I'm I was been scared of social media forever, so Instagram has been a, a leap for me these last couple of months. But we got some fun stuff we're we're about to test. I'm about to retest my alpha flies that have uh, f- over 400 kilometers on them, compared against a new pair. Um, and so, some people have wondered about the durability or how long the the foam and the benefits last. So, I, I think that's uh, a really
0: important on. one, actually, because kind of the the things that you can read on forums and stuff is that at least and and this i think was even from the original uh vaporfly four percent that yeah they got 200 kilometers on them and then you got the gotta get a new pair and and if they last 400 kilometers rather than 200 kilometers that that's basically half the price per 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 kilometer so
1: yeah well i think in most of the most of the shoe studies that are doing those comparisons want to make sure that the shoes aren't worn so they're like less than 20k on them yeah um so that so that people don't have that as a question but i tested them at 200k and they were just as good as new and 400k they're a little uglier but i can tell you based on feel i'm I'm confident they're still probably giving me four percent benefit yeah so so i'm going to run those into the ground and keep keep doing that as they uh they up their mileage
0: yeah well that's an exciting prospect to look forward to when when you do that test All right, but uh, thank you so much, Dustin. It's been uh, great to have you on. Uh, Thank you for sharing all this information and uh, good luck with uh, the study and the start of the data collection.
1: Absolutely, thanks a lot.
0: I hope that you enjoyed that interview as always you can find the show notes on scientific and we'll have plenty of links including the link to the preprint of the super shoe study as well as an other relevant study by Dr. Joubert we will also have uh, links to the interview that I did back in the day with Walter Högkamer that we mentioned in this episode and we also mentioned the Excel spreadsheet uh, that uh, in, in that discussion around running economy and how that translates to performance so that's a great spreadsheet that you can use to actually calculate okay so if i improve my economy by four percent how much does my marathon time actually improve by depending on how fast you are because that that is that makes a big difference so check out all of those links there's plenty of useful stuff there and uh, as we discussed in the interview already, I really recommend following Dustin on Instagram at Labret Rundown. He has great content there and keeps uh, coming up with uh, really good and interesting tests to perform in his lab. Now, let me talk just a little bit more about uh, the final stage of registrations for the Scientific Triathlon Mallorca training camp from the 26th of March to the 2nd of April this year, 2022. We have just a handful of slots available. And that is at the time of recording this outro, which is uh, a bit before the episode is released. So hopefully we still have a couple of slots left when you hear this, but really this is the last call if you're interested in participating Definitely, after the end of this week, when this episode goes out, we will not be accepting any more registrations. So, just a sh- few short things. If you're interested, first of all, read more about the camp and how it will work on our website, uh, on scientifictriathlon.com/camp, and you can also find the link directly in the main uh, main menu bar. And you can then contact me directly if you're interested in registering to see if there's still availability and we can discuss that. My email is michael at scientifictriathlon.com. It's going to be a fantastic camp. So if you're hesitating, stop hesitating and just go for it. Next Monday on the podcast, I interview Adam Kieran and we will discuss all about chain lubrication friction and saving a significant number of watts without any training and saving money from the reduced wear and tear on your drivetrain by doing chain lubrication properly. It is an exciting episode, so stay tuned for that. And a big thanks to our sponsors, Roca that you can find on roca.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and exceptional sunglasses and prescription glasses for everything from day-to-day wear to extreme action sports. Use the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS to get 20% off your entire Roka order and thank you to Senate. 8 use the zen8 swim trainer to improve your technique power stamina and most importantly your swim training consistency get 20 percent off your order on the swim trainer with the promo code that you can get on zen 8 forward slash tts and don't forget that it's a risk-free investment if you don't love it after two weeks send it back and you'll get a full refund thank you as always for listening keep training smart and keep loving craft.